Good morning, great men and women of God. If you've been at Pulp Rock for a while, you, you recognize that greeting and you know that we're talking about you. If you are visiting with us today or have been around just a short while, you may wonder, well, gosh, who are the great men and women of God? Where are they? Um, we're talking about you. Because one of the things we believe at Pulp Rock is reflected in a song we just sang, that um, who we are to God is the most important thing about us. What God says about us is the most important thing about us. And it, we live in a world where, unfortunately, we are scrabbling all the time to try to assign some value to our life. And it, it's based a lot of times in, in the things that we've done. Maybe it's based in the relationships we've had. Maybe it's based in what we've been able to accomplish or how high we scored on the test. Or maybe when our sports team wins because in the seventh inning we held the towel the right way while we're watching the game. And we say, that's, that's what I'm going to hold on to. I'm going to celebrate these things. And here is God who's from the very beginning saying to us, I want who you are to be based in who I say you are. I want who you are to be based in me. That's why we call you great men and women of God. Not because you've necessarily done anything great this week. You may have, you may not. But because there's a great God who has done a great thing for you. So good morning, great men and women of God. Good morning. So I am very thrilled right now because just this Friday I picked up a copy of the next book in this series that I read, that I've been reading for about 17 years. It's a series about an LAPD detective named Harry Bosch. Michael Connolly writes these books. I love these books. Um, if you're a person that likes to read books, but you also like to complain to people that recommend books, don't go read the book and then come back to me and complain. But if you're a person that likes books, those are good books, and those are great. Anyways, what I love about these books is, for 17 years, I've been following the stories of this guy, Harry Bosch, LAPD detective. Now, he is homicide. This means he's often dealing with, he's dealing with, there's been a victim. And the thing about Harry Bosch that kind of stands out is it doesn't matter who the victim is, he's going to bring the same level of intensity to the case. It doesn't mean it matter if the victim is some homeless drifter that no one really knew or is going to find about, or if the victim was the, the wife of the mayor, he's going to bring the same level of intensity. And sometimes people will ask him in these novels, other police will say things like, hey, you know, we're getting a lot of pressure on the mayor's wife situation, but you need to devote more time there. This is a case that's not going anywhere. Why are you doing this? And he always has the same response. It's a personal mantra of his life. Everybody matters or nobody matters. He lives life by that rule that everyone matters or no one matters. And the way he lives that out is he says, I don't care if this is a person that's overlooked. I don't care if this is someone that's not even liked. I'm going to treat this case like I treat every case because everybody matters or nobody matters. Now, it doesn't seem to me, maybe it seems to you, that in the real world, it doesn't seem that everybody seems to matter the same, does it? In fact, maybe because of someone's race or their power, their religion, they, people don't matter or some people matter more. In fact, as I'm watching our nation right now, more than any point in my life, I'm seeing us as a country wrestle with the soul of this question, does everybody matter? Do some people matter more? Do some people matter less? We spent the last few months going through the Gospel of Luke. As we follow Jesus from table to table, as he answered that question. Because in Jesus' day, there were many people who believed that some people mattered more and some people mattered less. In fact, there were people who loved God, 
who believed that some people mattered more and some people mattered less. If you were good, you mattered more. If you were spiritually clean, you mattered more. If you were from the right families, you mattered more. If you had wealth, you mattered more. And Jesus sat at tables he shouldn't have sat at to say that everybody mattered. To say that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It said, it said God so loved the world because everybody, what, matters. And so this incarnation of Christ, this stepping into a place he didn't have to step into, the incarnation is God basically saying, Everybody matters, and I'm going to prove it. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore some of the implications of what it means to be a part of the incarnation. But for this morning, I want to look at one surprising way that Jesus calls us to live like everyone matters. And it's a way that changes the game for us. So I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to find Jesus on a mountain giving a sermon, and so we've ended up calling it creatively what? Sermon on the Mount. We're not super creative, but that's what we came up with. We're like, hey, remember the Sermon on the Mount? In this sermon, Jesus has been explaining the difference between the rules of the day and the heart of God. And you know you're in the Sermon on the Mount when he says this phrase a lot, well, you have heard it said, but now I'm going to tell you the truth. You've been living under these beliefs, but now I'm going to tell you what God's heart really is. So we, we're going to see that a couple times here today, but we're going to jump in the middle of this message in verse 38. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, don't. Don't use violence to resist evil. Instead, when someone hits you on the right cheek, turn the other one towards him. He's saying if someone hurts you, then the rules say you can hurt them back. Now, the rules are very clear. You, if someone hits you, you know, takes one eye, you can't take two. You can only take one. And so there are rules in place. The rules say if someone hurts you, you can hurt them back. Jesus says, but I'm going to tell you to do something you don't have to do. Show mercy. He goes on. When someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let them have your cloak too. So he's saying, look, if you get in a legal case with someone and they sue you and they win the right to take your shirt from you, that's what the rule says you have to do. But I'm going to tell you to do something you don't have to do. Give them your cloak as well. He goes on and says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go a second mile with him. The rule is, we'll see this in a second, the rule is, if you were in a certain situation, you had to do something for one mile, that's what the rule says. But Jesus says, I want you to do something you don't have to do. Go a second mile. He says, you have heard it said, love your, enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the rule of the day. If someone's nice to you, you love them. If they're your enemy, you can hate them. But I tell you, what? Love your enemies. Pray for people who persecute you. The rule is, if people are good to you, you're good to them. And if they are bad to you, you could be bad to them. But Jesus says, but I'm going to tell you to do something that you don't have to do. Pray for them and love them. Why, let's pause here. Why is Jesus asking us to do things that we don't have to do? Well, go back to that second mile thought for just a moment. If someone forces you to go one mile, go a second one with them. I want you to remember that the people hearing these words were Jewish people living under the oppression of an evil, oppressing empire called the Romans. And when they looked around and they saw the land that God had given them, Roman flags flew over every building. Roman soldiers walked up and down their streets. 
Roman taxes took their money, and Roman law ruled their land. One of the laws the Romans had was this. If you were a Roman soldier, you were often having to walk around town, and you were carrying all of your equipment. But there was a rule they came up with. And the rule was this. You could compel any Jewish male, 12 or older, to carry your equipment for one mile. This is my son, Gus, right here. Gus, how old are you? 11. Okay. Stand, can you stand up just for a second? You can stand up on the chair if you want just because it's, uh, it's church. You can do it. So. so I'm a Roman soldier. I see this kid. I'm carrying a 60-pound rucksack, and I go, hey, kid, come here. You're going to carry this, and you would carry it for one mile. Would you like that? Okay. You have to sit down. You don't have to give you anything. So just to get you that image there, that was the rule. Now, Roman roads had mile markers, so it was clear, kind of like we have mile markers, so it was clear to know, have I gone a mile or not? And when so this kid is carrying this, this pack, he's sweating, it's weighing him down, but as soon as he gets to that mile marker, he stops and he drops the pack. He doesn't have to go one step further. So really, if you think about it, the soldier's commanding you to go two miles, right? Because you go one mile, then what? You've you got to walk back to wherever you were. Doesn't matter what you were working on, but now your day stops and you walk until you get to the mile marker, and then you would drop it. Because your obligation was done. Why would you go one foot past the mile marker? You were legally obligated. You could check the box. Why would you help your enemy? This guy was probably later going to hurt somebody that you love. Why would you want to help him? Why would you do something you didn't have to do? Here's the thing. When your life is oriented around obligations, mile markers become very important to you. They're all that matters. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a shirt for a shirt, but not a cloak. A first mile, but not a second mile. What are the limits? How can I stop? When have I done my job? Have I fulfilled my obligation? And as far as the other person is concerned, they don't really matter as much. Who cares? Who cares what they need? They got the eye, they got the shirt, they got the one mile. I did my box, I checked. I, I did my job and I checked my box. I fulfilled my obligation. God says I'm good because I did what I was supposed to do. And that's the way many people live in these lives. And then Jesus shows up. And at the most famous table ever, he raises a glass and he says, I'm about to change everything. I'm going to change all those obligations and replace them with one new command. And here it is. I'm giving you a new commandment and it's this. What is it? Love one another. And just in case you don't know what that one command means, let me just tell you this way. Just as I have loved you, love one another. What he's announcing with this raising of a glass was something phenomenal, that we no longer live out of obligation, we live out of devotion. We no longer ask, well, what is the mile marker? We no longer say, well, how much am I supposed to do? We no longer say, well, do I have to give an eye or not? We now just ask one simple question. What does love require? What does it mean to love? See, when you live for obligation, you need mile markers telling you to only take one eye, to only give one shirt, to only go one mile. But with a new orientation, all the loopholes close. Here's another way to maybe summarize what I think Jesus is saying here. You have heard it said, do something you have to do, but I tell you, do something you don't have to do. You don't have to turn the cheek. You don't have to give the cloak. You don't have to go the second mile. 
In fact, you don't have to do any of those things, and everyone around you would go, you're the best person we know. You did what you're supposed to do. You don't have to do the extra stuff. No, don't do that. But when you do, you show that everybody matters. See, Jesus goes on and explains this in verse 45. He goes, that way, you'll be children of your Father in heaven. After all, he makes the sun rise on bad and good alike. He sends the rain both on the upright and the unjust. God gives sun and God gives rain to people that are good to him and also to people that are bad to him. God does something he doesn't have to do because everyone matters, even the upright, even the unjust. And if we go that second mile with that Roman soldier, if we love him beyond what we're obligated to do, we're saying that he matters and we're acting like children of our father. You know, I, I know a lot of people who have given up on faith and given up on church. Some of you may know people like that. Some of you may be people like that. And you're here for some other reason. And you're like, you know, this whole thing. I, I really believe that for many people, they weren't walking away from Christ as much as they were walking away from an obligation-focused faith. Where everything was about what you're supposed to do. And the joy had drained out of it. But there's a joy, I think, that he's touching on here that is found when you do the things that you don't have to do. Uh, when he talks about finding your life as you give it away, as you talk about stepping into that second mile, because when you step into that second mile, it's no longer about obligation. It's about relationship, it's about joy, and it's about what could God do? God becomes real in, a, in, in the second mile in a way he doesn't in the first mile. And Reggie Joyner asks us to imagine for a minute what this scenario could look like played out. I want you to listen to how he's written this. He says this. He goes, imagine a teenage boy in ancient Jerusalem going through his daily routine. Picture him as he comes around a corner and he sees a Roman soldier. He freezes trying to retrace his steps and avoid being seen. He knows if that soldier gets off his horse and sees him, he'll be commanded to carry the soldier's gear. But it's too late. Soldier catches the boy's eye, motions for him to come over, loads the young man down with all of his equipment. And from there, because the boy has no choice, because the boy has a law, they start the long walk through town. Now, he says, let's pretend that this particular boy had happened to be in the crowd the day that Jesus said, if someone asks you to go one mile, go two with him instead. As he travels this first mile, the boy keeps thinking about what Jesus said. He starts to wonder, why would Jesus say I should go two miles? Why would he want me to help this Roman? Why should I go out of my way for someone I don't even care about? And he doesn't really understand what Jesus meant, but he can't get away from his words either. He keeps hearing in his mind, go the second mile, go the second mile. And before they realize it, they've reached the mile marker. The soldier stops, gets off his horse, starts to gather up his stuff, but then this boy stands there wondering, what if? What if I try what Jesus said? He clears his throat and he makes a proposition. Sir, I'll, I'll carry your pack a second mile if you'd like. And what do you think happens next? I imagine, Reggie says, something would fundamentally change beginning with the first step of the second mile. Maybe the Roman soldier, curious about this Jewish boy who offered voluntarily to help him, started to engage the boy in conversation. Maybe the Roman soldier and the young Jewish boy began to share some stories about their lives or ideas. Maybe, just maybe, this teenager and this soldier began to see each other as real people. 
Reggie says this, that mile one fulfilled an obligation. Mile two changed the nature of their relationship. That step from mile one across the line to mile two changes everything. Moving from an obligation-focused faith changes everything. And in a moment, we're going to see why it does. But first, I, I want to give you a moment just to kind of reflect on this thought of this story of the second mile. And I want to give you a question to think about. As you look back over the last week, maybe this is a question you could, could ponder for a moment. What have you done lately that you didn't have to do? Now, don't, don't get into the things that you had to do. Don't start with, well, I was supposed to. No, no, no. What did you do last week, last couple weeks, that you didn't have to do? Give you a moment to talk with God about that, and then we'll see where Jesus takes us. What have you done lately that you didn't have to do? And what, what, what was that like? What happened from there? I was thinking about um, this, this for me yesterday. So Jessica, uh, my wife, is out of town. And um, I have, we have four kids. Two kids have cars. And so I don't know where they were. They were somewhere in a 90-mile radius of the city. But I don't know where they were. But yesterday, had the, had our younger two kids with us. And before Jessica left, she said, hey, I want you to think about what you're going to do on Saturday with the kids. Because if you don't have a plan in place, you will just end up playing Xbox and watching football all day. Which I'm like. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm working on, I'm working on something, working on something. So we, we get up and it's one of those Saturdays that's just kind of, uh, it's just kind of a lazy day. I, we didn't have any soccer games. We had, there was nothing we had to go to. It was, it was kind of an open day. And so we ended up playing Xbox and sitting around and reading books, watching football, and this is the kind of stuff. Now, this is a great day. And uh, towards the afternoon, um, you know, I started thinking there's this, there's this uh, timer in my brain that's very obligation-focused, and I'm like, hey, I better, better do something because, uh, you know, I don't want to be a good dad, and a good dad didn't just sit around all day playing Xbox and watching football. I should do something with my kids. And, and then I, I try to fight that voice because it's a little obligation-focused, and I was like, you know what, wait a minute. What, What's something, I, let's say I don't have to do that. Let's say that if I, if I just said, hey, kids, we're going to just watch X, uh, football and play Xbox the rest of the day, um, you think they'd be okay with that? Yeah, they'd be like, yes, that sounds like a great idea. And we're also going to just put our feet wherever we want. Well, this is great. We're going to do whatever we want. 
So I didn't have to do anything. So the obligation was released. And I thought, but you know what? But I do want to do something. And I said, all right, we're, we're going to get in the car. So it's about 3.30, and uh, Gus, my son, and my other son, Henry, we get in the car, and we decide we're going to drive to Wilkerson Pass and go hiking, and then we're going to stop in Florissant and have the best hamburger you can get at Mountain Burger, this gas station. Is, trust me. So we get in the car and we start driving, and it's about an hour there, and we're in the car. We start having conversations. We start having this, we play this alphabet game where you, you say, okay, hey, name a sport that starts with A, archery. Okay, now it's your turn, B. Okay, now it's your turn, C. We go around. We did that for a while. Then we started getting into, can we name all the enemies of various superheroes? And so we started to get into those. And, Started to get off track a little bit. We started debating, does Riddler wear a mask or not? Does, does, does Joker's makeup count as a mask? Okay, all this. So pretty intense theological conversations. Uh, we get to Wilkerson Pass. All right, kids, we're here. We get out, and there's a giant sign that says what? Closed for season. Did you guys know that it was closed for the season? How many of you knew that? Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> So we were like, well, I've driven, so we're going to keep driving. So we drive a little further. We pull off to this place where you can look, you can see the whole valley. I love that scene. We get out of the car. It's, um, we're, we're Colorado boys, so we were wearing shorts and T-shirts. It's freezing. We're running around for a while just to mess around. And then I took a picture so I could prove to Jessica that we did something that was, you know. I texted it to her. Hey, look what we're doing. So... We get back in the car, we drive back to the gas station hamburger place, we go inside, uh, we order our hamburgers, they bring them to our table, I'm so excited to eat my hamburger. Henry takes uh, the, the bun off the burger, it's my burger, but he didn't know it, he squirted ketchup all over it, gave it back to me, and now I've got this ketchup burger, it's gross. But we're laughing, we're having a good time, we drive back for another hour, and we almost, we almost went two hours, Gus, right, without a fight. Now for some of you, you're like, that's not a big deal. Let me just say, resurrection, two hours without fights. That's it. It's right there. In fact, that proves the resurrection. I don't have any doubt. We get back, and I thought, you know, this was a great afternoon. What made this great? We didn't have to do it. We didn't have to do it. It's just something that we did. And we went and had a good time, and it was fun. And I thought, I love this. And, and I love that it wasn't like an obligation thing. It was, it was just something fun to do. And there's something about the heart of God here, about doing what you don't have to do. Jesus says, you've heard it said that you're supposed to do what you have to do, but I tell you, do something you don't have to do. Love people like they matter, and when you do that, you'll act like children of the Father. Now, when we do this, acting like our Father really surprises the world. Jesus goes on and says, look at it like this. If you love those who love you, do you expect a special reward? The answer is, well, no, but there's some of us that would say, well, kind of. And then he says, you know, even tax collectors do that, don't they? If you only greet your own family, what's so special about that? Even Gentiles do that, don't they? What he's saying here is, if you think about it, he grabbed the two people. He grabbed tax collectors, which we saw in Luke were the most hated people. They did the worst things. And then he grabbed Gentiles who were non-Jewish people who believed all the wrong things. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, look, even people that do bad things and even people that believe wrong things, they love people that love them. They do their obligations. How are you any better? What if Jesus was here today? Maybe he would say, hey, you know the Taliban? Even a Taliban guy tells his mother that he loves her. 
He's even good to the person that's good to him. By doing what you're just supposed to do, there's no special reward in that. No one is impressed by that. That doesn't make any kind of statement about the new kingdom at all. But you know what does say a statement about the kingdom? What surprises the world, what shocks a Roman soldier, is when you do something you don't have to do. Because now you're saying it's not about obligation or me checking a box. It's about you because you matter. And then Jesus says something amazing. This is mind-blowing what he says next. Well then, you do this, you must be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you do something you don't have to do, if you love others you don't have to love, then you must be perfect. Now some of you who have been here before might say, Thomas, I, I thought I've heard you say many, many times, nobody's perfect. You're right, I have said that many times. Clearly I was wrong. Jesus is saying there are people who are perfect. Wait, I just want to make sure that I'm clear what you're saying. I don't, you're not taking heresy here. What, are you saying that if we love people beyond obligation, if we do something for people we don't have to do, we will be perfect? No, 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 no. I, I am not saying that. Jesus is saying that. He just said that. What he means is this, in the most important way that we act like children of our Father is not that we avoid every mistake or we follow every rule or that we never sin. That's not the most important way that we act like our Father. The most important way that we act like children of our Father is when we love people who cannot or will not love us back, who cannot or will not do good to us. When we love people who cannot or will not love us, that is most like our Father. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you got to change your definition of perfect. Religious people think the word perfect means it's about how they act towards the rules. But Jesus is saying being perfect is how you act for, towards the relationships in your lives. And when you love people who cannot or will not love you, that's as close to acting like God as you can get. And that's as perfect as we can be. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to, like I said, talk about what does it look like to follow Christ in this, to do the things we don't have to do, to incarnate into the world around us. But for this morning, I thought I just want to touch on one thing that Jesus said that we skipped over. I want to come back to one way that we do something we don't have to do, and it's found in verse 42. It says this, give to anyone who asks you and don't refuse someone who wants to borrow from you. It's not just that when we do what we don't have to do, but when we give what we don't have to give, that acts like our Father. Now, two things happen whenever someone says the word giving in church. Two people get really nervous. The person talking about giving and everybody else. <laughs> and often that's because churches talk about giving from very obligation-focused ways. They talk about, well, you got to give because God says to, and here's a verse. And you got to give if you want to be blessed, and here's a verse. And, and you want to give so you can get more, and that's the verse. And it's all first-mile stuff. It's all like, well, okay, check in the box. You do that, and this happens. But what if we started talking about it if it was devotion-focused? What if giving was something we didn't have to do, but when we did it, we did it because everybody matters? Earlier this year, Jonathan uh, laid a challenge down before us. He asked us to really examine, as, as people at Pulper Rock, why do you give to this church? And as we began to open ourselves up to that, we realized that for some of us, uh, we gave out of obligation. We didn't even think about it. And so he started saying, you know, 
one thing we need to do is shake this up. For some of you, shaking it up was, he said, would you consider maybe giving more than you normally do so that you really begin to be aware of it? It's not just something you budgeted. It becomes something a little more sacrificial, and you begin to really interact with that. And then he said something that was more shocking. He said, and some of you need to stop giving. And I was like, well, you got to draw a line somewhere, Jonathan. Where he said, some of you, if you're, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and if you're giving this place just because it's obligation, then stop it. Don't do it. Take some time to really go back and examine that. I hope some of you have followed on, on those two things. I know, in fact, many of you have. And some of you are still praying about, what does 2018 look like as I step back into? Do I, what do I do? Well, I hope you're interacting with fresh ways. But as you're thinking about that, I, I, let me give you a few examples, a few stories of what it looks like when you do what you don't have to do, and you give what you don't have to give, and how that shows that people matter. I'll give you a few examples. First, in September, we launched a ministry here called Care Portal. Care Portal, and 60 of you signed up. Now, how Care Portal works is a need arises in a city, in our city. One of the social workers becomes aware of that, and they send this request out, and it's really connected a lot with foster care families and situations. And these emails go out to people who've signed up for them, and then people respond and say, I can take care of that in El Paso County. In the last two months, we've had 24 people from this church respond to needs like that. One of you took this mother who had two kids at home and had just brought three more foster kids in, and they took her, you took her shopping at Costco. She said, we ended up hugging and crying at the end, which honestly is the, end, the story of every two women that get together <laughs> ends. But that's cool. I don't want to mock that too much. Uh, but this woman said, you know, I'm the one buying these groceries, and I am feeling so blessed to be being used by someone else. I found it's amazing that God uses us to showcase his love. Didn't have to do that, but she did do that. Another one of you found out that there, a need went out that there was a family that had five kids under the age of six. <laughs> Just let that sink in. Five kids under the age of six. They didn't have bed. No beds. The request went out. One of you said, I'll do that. Went over, helped set up these bunk beds. Why? Because those five kids matter. Another one of our ladies here went, uh, took a request to her coworkers at St. Francis and said, hey, what if we did this? And they didn't even go to Pulp Rock or and someone didn't even go to church. Well, yeah, let's get in on that. Sounds fun. So there's this grandma with a special needs grandson, and she needed groceries and clothes. And this request went out. This person said, let's do something. So they went and they bought food and clothes and wipes and nighttime pull-ups for the family. And then they took the grandma shopping. And, and that was going to be the end of it, except that the grandma wrote a thank you note back. Here's this thank you note this lady writes. Dear ladies, uh, uh, St. Francis, thank you. I hope and pray that I'm doing right things, but with your help and prayers, it makes my day a little brighter. We serve a mighty God who answers prayer. You are the answer to my prayers. Thank you very much, Linda and Cody Christian. Grandma, special needs kid. Let me summarize that thank you card. What, is, what she's saying here is this. I matter. I matter. Didn't have to do that, but did it to say that someone matters. Recently, our church partnered with Emmanuel Baptist Church, a church in our city, to help them with their blessing bags program. Now, this is kind of a cool thing. So they have this program where they have these bags, and they fill these bags with non-perishable things and mittens and scarves and, and some stuff to, to help people during these winter months who are in need. And what's cool about this program is the people that lead this program are all kids. So the kids are the ones that are leading this stuff. 
Now, as a little bit, and we, we gave to kind of help provide some of the stuff there, but what's cool about this is many of these kids have dads that are in jail or in prison. It's hard to learn how to be like your father when your father's not around. And so this church is saying, we're going to teach you how to be children of the father because we're going to show you what it looks like to serve people who are in need. They're doing a lot more than just throwing crackers in a bag and handing it out at a stoplight. They're, they're learning to give what they didn't have to give. And the kids at our church have also done this. I, I love this. I love that our kids, even at an early age, are taught about the joy of what it means to give to someone else. Recently, we had our Awana kids raise $135 for Care Portal. And then our elementary kids, the Grove, raised $200. And then our younger kids, the ones in the early childhood, and I have to get this exact number right, $45.37 came in to go to these things. Why? At an early age, our kids are learning to be like our father. We give things we don't have to give. There are a lot more stories. You could go visit the wall outside. You could find out how in the recent hurricane situation and, uh, down in the, in the Gulf and in that area, we partnered with one of our partners down there, Mission of Hope. Uh, we gave them some money. They were able to turn that money into 15,000 hygiene kits for people who are displaced. I could go on with these stories. I could tell you story after story, and it may sound like I'm bragging. Um, I am a little bit. I am. What I'm bragging on is this crazy idea God came up with, which was, hey, would you like to be like me? Give things you don't have to give. Go places you don't have to go and do things you don't have to do. It's a crazy thought. Do you ever think that God likes being God? Do you think that God wakes up and goes, oh, I'm so tired of being God? Or do you think he wakes up? Well, he didn't wake up because he didn't slumber, but you know the metaphor. Do you think that God is in the morning is like, I love being me. And you know what? One of the most favorite parts of being me is getting to do things I don't have to do and give what I don't have to give. And then he looks at us and says, would you like to get in on that? You want to get in on the joy of being like your father. Do things you don't have to do for people who may not or cannot repay you back. When you do that, you're saying that everybody matters. And when you say that everybody matters, that's about as close to perfect as we can get. I'd like to ask you to consider something. Would you consider making Pulpit Rock a place you don't have to give to? I'll just say it again to make sure it's clear. Would you consider making Pulpit Rock a place you don't have to give to? But you do, because you want to say that everybody matters. What I promise that we'll do is that we'll, we'll take these gifts and we'll vet the best organizations in the city and we'll look for the best missions opportunities and we'll do that, that due diligence there. And you can be assured that your giving that you don't have to do does something. And let me end with this. You don't have to do it. You don't have to go that second mile. As Reggie Joyner concludes, you don't have to go the second mile and no one will judge you if you don't. You're not obligated to take even the first step into that second mile. You don't have to become a foster parent. You don't have to lead middle schoolers. You don't have to pause to talk to a child. You don't have to buy someone's meal. You don't have to learn your waiter's name. You don't have to help your local school. You don't have to speak out against an injustice. You don't have to forgive that friend that offended you. You don't have to do life with anyone that's different from you. You don't have to show up for anyone at the hospital. You don't have to give anything away. You don't have to invest in someone else's success. In fact, in many ways, life will be a lot easier if you don't. 
But if you do, it will change you. If you do, you will feel something deeper. If you do, you will tap into something sacred you never knew existed. If you do, you will experience love in a radical new way. Do what you don't have to do. I want to pray for us, but let me give you a question as we head into a moment of prayer to think about, and it's this. Where could you give something you don't have to give to say that everyone matters? Where could you do that? Let's pray. The joy set before him, Jesus, you endured the cross, and we come to a table that only exists because you went somewhere you didn't have to go, you did something you didn't have to do, and you gave something you didn't have to give. As we prepare to come to the table, may we come with hearts that first and foremost just receive that your table speaks volumes about who we are and tells us that, that we matter. And Lord, also as we come to the table, could we also be thinking about the people and opportunities you put in our life where we could give where we don't have to give so that we could say everyone matters. In Christ's name we pray.